Good morning, Saints of Community Bible Church. It is a privilege and an honor to be able to share God's Word with you this morning. The Saints of First Baptist Church greet you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, our common Savior, and in the gospel that we share. And personally, I am grateful uh, to Matt for extending the invitation and for Joseph reading the exact words that I was asked to provide him as introduction. Good job, my friend. Uh, I also just want to thank you, church, for loving my dad, Bill Godfrey. I love my dad, and it does my heart great joy for him to be a part of a church that loves Jesus demonstrably in her church membership. So thank you. If you have a Bible or Bible app, I invite you to open it or open your app to Paul's letter to the church at Rome, Romans chapter 16. We're going to look at actually the final verses of Paul's letter, Romans 16 verses 25 through 27, 16 verses 25 through 27. We're going to examine the closing verses of the final chapter of Paul's letter to the church at Rome throughout our time together this morning in this passage is referred to as a doxology, much like what we sang as we opened the service today. A doxology is an expression of praise to God for who He is and what He does. And certainly what we will see in this text confirms this to be true. Perhaps even your Bible marks off with a subheading, these verses, with the word doxology. We're going to read is Paul's, the Apostle Paul's expression of praise at the conclusion of this glorious letter. So I invite you, uh, you, I heard the custom is to stand when the reading of God's Word. Is that true? So I invite you to stand as we hear God's Word together. And I, I'll, I'll engage, I'll indulge myself in one custom that I usually do when I preach. So after the reading, I'll say this is the Word of the Lord. And if you're able to speak... I encourage you to say, thanks be to God. We'll all say that together. So I'll read this, and then we'll, we'll, we'll have a group participation in a moment. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Now to Him, who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Would you pray with me once more? Father, we bow before you today and we are seeking your help to hear and receive your truth from your word today. God, you have made us in your image to display your glory, and you alone are worthy of all praise. And we are in awe of your grace to seek us and to redeem us. We rejoice that we who were far from you, even dead in our trespasses and sins, have been made alive together with Jesus by your Holy Spirit. By grace we have been saved. So Spirit, come, illumine our dark minds and open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things in your word together this morning. This we pray for our good and for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder if you have ever participated in a standing ovation. And I don't mean the ones where you had to stand because the guy next to you stood up and you were all of a sudden feeling guilty and didn't want to look like a curmudgeon sitting down while the next guy is standing up. But perhaps you've been to something like a Broadway production or a concert that simply left you in awe. You were so captivated by what was in front of you that standing and applauding and even shouting was 
simply the overflow of the joy in what you had just witnessed. Well, the reason I ask you that is the final words of Paul's letter feel a bit to us like a written standing ovation. For in it, we see the Apostle Paul erupt in praise to God, declaring the glory of God. And as he does, he lifts our eyes to this glorious God. He is encouraging us, even with words of encouragement, to remind us why we should be joining in this ovation to God's glory. Now what is striking, maybe you noticed this as we read the text, what is interesting is that Paul's praise begins in verse 25 with the words, now to him. Then that's interrupted. And concludes at the end of 27, be glory forevermore through Jesus. But in between those two statements, Paul beautifully unpacks God's glory for us. So here's what I want to do with the remainder of our time. I want us to consider four aspects of God's glory from this passage. And just so you know, and are not frightened, I'm going to spend most of the time on point one. So when I go all the way through point one and just say point two, don't be frightened. We will move quickly through two through four. But point one is where we're going to spend the most time. So I want to jump right into that first reality. First thing this morning, church, God is glorified by a church that is strong in the gospel. God is glorified by a church that is strong in the gospel. Now to Him who is able to strengthen you. Paul opens his praise with God's ability. And he ties God's ability, in this case, to a specific act of God, strengthening the church. Now, we might be tempted to think that the church in Rome would not need to be reminded of God's ability to strengthen them. In fact, you would think that any church of the Lord Jesus Christ, our risen Savior, would have no need for such a reminder. But the opening note of Paul's praise is to lift this church's eyes and our eyes to the sufficiency of God to strengthen us and nothing else. Now, this you is plural. I had to explain this while living in Northern Virginia. In the South, we actually have a you plural. Y'all. We understand what that is, but the Greek doesn't have... <laughs> there we go. So maybe into the South. There we go. In the North, they have to have this explained to them, but, which is probably offensive to Joseph and Matt when he sees this because our Northern brothers are transplants. But this you here is plural. Paul is speaking not primarily of individual strength. So, so while there are implications for you personally, this is written to a church. He is speaking of God's ability to strengthen this local church. Now surely, for you, Community Bible, this must be ringing with a note of beauty to you sitting in this new building. Watching the brief history of this local church as I did last week where Matt, glorious handlebar mustache and all, recounts the faith. Oh, that's not so glorious to some of you. All right. But he recounts the faithfulness of God to this local church to preserve you through seasons of struggle and blessing, even to God's provision of this space for you to gather in. No one individual has that kind of strength. 
No one has that kind of strength that's necessary to orchestrate and provide for all that you have received as a local church. That ability resides in the God alone. Church, you are actually sitting on hard evidence of God's ability to strengthen and preserve you with His faithfulness. So it is fair for us to ask, why does this church need to be reminded of God's provision of strength, God's ability? Because even when we're seated on the faithfulness of God and experiencing His joys, as Joseph has reminded us today, we do not live a life of unbroken ease simply by throwing our lot in with Jesus. Heaven is not here on earth. No, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, until His glorious return, will be beset by opposition. The enmity of the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman from Genesis 3.15 continues to this very day. As one scholar noted about these verses, he said, the strengthening envisioned is the ability to resist temptations and trials with the result that they do not forsake nor abandon the Christian faith. You see, the church in Rome would face the same hostility that every church does. They needed the reminder that God is able and God does strengthen His people. But I think there's something else. Paul actually knows something else about us that we don't want to admit or we do not tend to regularly admit. We tend to think very often and very much of our own abilities. And we are tempted and very often give little thought to the God who enables us. Sometimes when our churches grow or expand and experience seasons of blessing, we may be tempted to to think and look at what we have done. to to think about our ability and strength. So church, could it be that experiencing a season of favor and blessing by God, you may find yourself tempted to forget Him? I urge you, don't fall into that trap, brothers and sisters. Don't fall into the trap of simply saying that the gospel has power and that this church is built upon the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, but deny that in your practical day-to-day concern and care for one another. Here's what I mean. Think about the many churches that come up with strategies for ministry that can run well and run smoothly and yet be absent of the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when we as churches and you as a local church drift from intentionally focusing your life together on the person and the work of Christ, you end up with a form of God amnesia. And when God is absent from our minds, that's not dead space. The self eagerly sits upon that throne. So Paul encourages this church with the reminder, God is able to strengthen you. God is able to strengthen you. And this truth certainly has implications and weight for our individual lives. Think about your own life. Christian, where are you tempted to doubt the power of God and His gospel to strengthen you in your life? Do you find that you wish God had given you a little bit more of a role in your sanctification? Like maybe if He'd just given a a really detailed spreadsheet or checklist for godliness. But can you see why He did it? You and I would mess it up, right? We have the opposite of Midas' touch. Everything we touch tends to wither 
because of our inherent sinfulness. But everything God touches through his gospel springs to life. Or we might tend to, tend to become haughty, conceited, again, thinking that it's our own effort and ingenuity that grows us in grace, which is in fact the very opposite of grace. The Lord knows that we tend to doubt his ability when things aren't going well or they are going well. When things aren't going the way that we think they should, or the pace isn't what we hoped it would be in the church. Brothers and sisters, see how Paul's reminder gives you patience not only with the plans and purposes of God for this local church, but patience with one another. That it is the gospel that strengthens you. Therefore, you can be patient with God's work in you. It's not you who must strengthen yourself. No, it is God who strengthens us on His timetable. Maybe many of us find ourselves a bit guilty of loving the church of our imagination and not the church in which the Lord has placed us to live. Perhaps one spiritual application of this is to repent and seek the Lord's forgiveness and ask Him to help you by His Holy Spirit to love the very church that He's placed you in community for His glory. Now, as God's people, what we can take from Paul's words here is that we are not meant to be weak in our faith. No, we do at times experience weakness. Paul said it is clear that the, the gospel of Christ's strength is made perfect in his weakness. We will experience frailty in this life. Yet, the glory of God is sufficient to strengthen us when we are weak. This is what... Paul is talking about weak, physical, and unimpressive churches are strong in God's presence and His glory. This is where Paul wants them to see. What Paul wants them to see. Paul is arguing here that a relentless focus on the gospel is the very means by which God is going to strengthen the church at Rome. God will strengthen the church at Rome, and by His default, He will strengthen any church whose eyes are fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you notice, He says that He will strengthen them, that God's strengthening work comes according to my gospel. This is where, the, where Paul is, is directing the saints to see the source of God's strengthening work. God is able to strengthen us, to strengthen you, according to the gospel. And Paul uses the word my, which doesn't mean that it was his sole possession, but the gospel that he himself has believed and proclaimed. What is this gospel? Well, the letter of Romans, if you want to spend an hour well today, you can read the entire letter of Romans. Well, the letter of Romans is an amazing articulation of the gospel from front to back. The letter begins with a case against humanity's goodness and ability. Paul makes the argument that we are in fact under God's wrath because of our sin and our rebellion against the God who has made us. And then he moves to unpack the work that the Lord Jesus has accomplished through his perfect life his death on the cross as our substitute, and his powerful resurrection from the dead, bringing eternal life to anyone who repents of their sins and trusts in him. Paul then gives explanation of what this gospel, how it works out, how it changes the lives of those who believe it. And then he exhorts the Christians to share this amazing gospel with confidence, knowing that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ has the power to change hearts of rebels to children. Finally, Paul explains how the local church demonstrates 
the gospel in her life. Romans is Paul's gospel opus. If you're not a Christian here today, that's the message of the book. That's what we mean when we say gospel. That you are, in fact, guilty before a holy and righteous God. Yet the Lord in grace sent his own son to be crushed for your iniquities. That if you would turn from your sin and trust in him, you would have eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the hope that we're clinging to today. That's the hope we've been singing about all morning. And that gospel message strengthens God's people. The church is strengthened by the gospel. Notice how Paul says it is strengthened through this gospel when it is preached. Now, I've been in and around churches for as long as I can remember. And in my memory, I have yet to be a part of any congregation that looked around and said, you know what? We are way too healthy. You know what? I am tired of all of these people getting really strong in their faith. Like, no one talks like that about their churches. I'm not saying that church isn't out there. I'm sure if we went on the internet, you could find a church where where people are saying that. But I've never encountered such people. Instead, most churches spend great strength and mental energy and resources in an attempt to strengthen their church. But friends, I wonder if we have fallen victim to forgetting Paul's exhortation. That it is giving and receiving the gospel that fuels our strength. God has never promised to grow his people through savvy marketing and slick presentations. No, he's growing it through the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ. And one of the primary ways in which God exhorts this church to celebrate the gospel is to hear and receive the preached word. Gospel preaching, we are told, will strengthen the people of God. Now, side note, because I can say what Matt and Joseph can't. Because many of you never, probably never see me again. Maybe you will. But they wouldn't say it because it would come across as self-serving. I want to encourage you, Community Bible. Do not miss the gift that you have in pastors who proclaim the gospel to you week in and week out. That is a treasure. We are a forgetful people. So God, in his kindness, has given you faithful pastors who preach the unsearchable riches of Christ to you that you might be strengthened according to the gospel. Listen, many churches have pulpits where charlatans parade messages of self-help and self-improvement, but in undeserved grace, you community Bible don't have that. Praise be to God. And so I want you to encourage them in their work. Pray for them and their families who, their families who, by the way, are sacrificing much for their husbands and their dads to equip you for the work of ministry. They do this joyfully and willingly because of the love that they have in Christ and the love that they have for you. But let me encourage you, church, you can increase their joy. You can increase their faithfulness to Jesus by listening, receiving the fruit of their labors, and encouraging these brothers in their work. Side note ended. So gospel preaching strengthens people. Why? How? Well, maybe you remember Romans 1.16, where Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 
In Romans chapter 1, Paul declares that the gospel is God's power to save sinners. And we see here at the end of the letter, the gospel is the power by which the saints are sustained and churches are strengthened. The gospel is both and. It is both the entryway into eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel is the news which sustains us each and every day. It is this gospel that will strengthen the church at Rome, and it is the same gospel that can strengthen every local church. Brothers and sisters, hear this promise of the Lord. God is able to strengthen you according to his gospel. God is glorified in the health and strength and growth of his church, a church centered on and proclaiming the message that God saves sinners through the death and resurrection of Jesus, glorifies God. There's more here, which leads to our second observation from this text. Second, God is glorified through His Word. God is glorified through His Word. Look again with me at the second half of verses, or verse 25 and read down through verse 26. According to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings been made known to all nations. So as Paul builds this doxology, he he roots the strengthening power of God in the proclamation of the gospel, which is disclosed where? In the Scriptures. This is actually kind of another angle from our first thought. The jewel we see here, that this church church strengthening gospel, the the good news of of the Lord Jesus we shift the diamond in the sunlight a bit, we see that this good news arises from the pages of the Bible. Paul shows us that to preach Jesus Christ is to, in fact, preach the Scriptures. God has told us of of our glorious Savior. Where? In the pages of His Word. Church, good preaching, faithful preaching is Bible preaching. Not the fleeting fancies of our day. Too often in our day, much that goes under the heading of preaching wouldn't meet Paul's basic definition in this verse. God is glorified when His Word is clearly embraced and clearly communicated by His people. Because He's glorified when people know Him. And where do we know God? We know God through His Word. Yes, Paul does remind us that we know God through creation. Certainly we see Him. But the intimate knowledge of God who loves us and gave Himself up for us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's revealed in the Scriptures. Can you taste Paul's excitement and wonder at the majesty of God in His Word? He speaks of the quote-unquote mystery that was kept secret for long ages and has now been disclosed. What is he getting at? Well, he doesn't use mystery like we might think of it in terms of like a crime novel. Agatha Christie and Sherlock Holmes. That's not how he's using the term mystery. But rather, as the theologian John Murray writes, the mystery, mysteries in the Bible is something which eye has not seen, nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man, but which God has revealed unto us by His Spirit, and which by revelation and faith comes to be known and appropriated by men. What Murray is getting at 
is that when Paul uses the word mystery, he speaks of that which is once hidden to humanity, but has now been revealed by God and received by faith. It's a biblical concept of mystery. This mystery that was once hidden and now disclosed is the good news of a suffering servant Messiah whose perfect obedience, substitutionary death, and triumphant resurrection would be the good news of hope for everyone who trusts in him. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. How beautiful is that promise today? And Paul argues that that message here especially arises from where? Actually, the Old Testament Scriptures. How fitting that we read promises of the Messiah from Isaiah today. And so that's Jesus. We're doing what Paul is instructing us to do even here. There's a way in which we could say now that Jesus has come. The Old Testament, in a sense, has been unlocked. Paul, this brilliant Bible scholar, now sees with new eyes that the central hope of the Old Testament was the Messiah who has come. And surprise of surprises, the gates of heaven have been cast open to all who would come to Jesus by faith, Jew and Gentile alike. God's glory is displayed through the Bible because in it we find the glorious Savior. We can read the Bible and know God. This brings God glory and us great joy and strength. We can know this God of power and might, of justice, of truth, and mercy, and grace. In the pages of Scripture, we can see God who, as He really is, And through that, we can come to understand who we really are and thus see our great need for Jesus and then the glory of Jesus' willingness to receive us. We open our Bibles and read. We study and do what the Lord says. Just like Ezra in Ezra 7 verse 10. And in doing that, we see more of Jesus and we look more like Jesus. And church, if you will do this, this church will look more and more like an outpost of heaven in the darkness of this world. Church, look to the Bible. Be a church saturated in God's Word that you might with ever-increasing strength have the mystery of Christ stamped upon your life. This gospel which I hinted at in just a moment, Paul says, has been made known to all nations. God is glorified in the nations coming to know Jesus Christ, which is our third thought. The third thought, God is glorified through redeemed sinners. God is glorified through redeemed sinners. It tells us that the revelation of the gospel has been disclosed and made known for a purpose. Has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God. Why? Why has it been made known to all nations? Paul says to bring about the obedience of faith. There at the end of verse 26. But what what is this obedience of faith? Well, if you have your Bibles open, your apps open, flip with me to Romans chapter 1. Let's flip back a few pages. I want to read for you the opening verses, the opening six verses of Paul's letter here. Paul writes, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, 
which He has promised beforehand through His prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning His Son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about what? The obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations, including you who were called to belong to Jesus Christ. We see in the opening verses of the letter a statement that is like a mirror to what we are considering at the end of the letter. That Jesus' coming was foretold in the Scriptures. That Paul had been commissioned by God to proclaim the Gospel in order to bring about what he calls in verse 5, the obedience of faith. And that same phrase is found later at the end of our text in verse 26, the obedience of faith. This obedience of faith is an expression Paul is using to describe coming to Jesus in repentance and faith. Paul, at the beginning and at the end of his letter, stresses that the gospel has the power to change us. The gospel changes people. It is the power of God to all who believe. That good news of God's great mercy through Jesus demands a response. And the right response, according to the Scriptures, is the obedience of faith. It is faith. Jesus has come And the gospel is preached that people might turn from their sin and believe in Jesus Christ. So perhaps you're here and you're not a Christian. This news is for you. Don't make the mistake that thinking that what I'm talking about applies to someone else. This message is for you. You are made to know the Lord in His very image. It's why you exist. And you can know Him through Jesus Christ if you would turn from your sin and trust in Jesus. You would receive the life that He brings and only He can give. And in turning to Jesus Christ, you find the precious joy of glorifying God as your Father rather than the terror of knowing Him as your judge. And if you have questions about what that means, what it means to follow Jesus, you can talk to me after the service or the person who invited you or brought you this morning. I can assure you, There's nothing I would like more than to tell you more about what it means to follow Christ. But if you're here and you are a Christian this morning, can you see that you can bring glory to God in your faith in His Son? It's a way in which you glorify God. Don't underestimate that the reality of your life is a trophy of God's grace And your testimony of God's grace at work in your life brings Him glory. Your redemption is not only the good news that you have an eternal home with your heavenly Father, but your hope in Christ is a real and practical proclamation of the glory of God. Your progress in maturing in the gospel are a living and vibrant billboard of God's grace. You are part of a story so much greater than yourself. And don't allow Satan to steal your joy by convincing you of your own greatness. Right? My guess is that most of us, if not all of us, actually don't need help in the self-esteem department. Few really do. Our problem is more often that we hold ourselves in such high esteem that we want to be the heroes of our story, the center of focus and attention, and yet the obedience of faith is a story that we are part of, not as the Redeemer, but as the one who has been purchased, as the redeemed, 
We make much of Christ because our faith is not in ourselves, but in the one who purchased our pardon with his own blood, who absorbed the wrath of God so that all the Father has left for you and for me is the eternal outpouring of his love through his Son, Jesus Christ. And church, don't miss your role in furthering the expansion of this God-glorifying mission. The implication of God strengthening his church by his gospel and equipping the saints with a message of hope from the scriptures is that we, like Paul, would obey what Paul calls here the command of the eternal God. And the late John Stott helpfully notes, the clause by the command of the eternal God must refer to the universal commission to preach the gospel. For behind the risen Christ who gave it stood the eternal God whose everlasting purpose is to save and unite Jews and Gentiles in Christ. We are commissioned to glorify God in the strength that He gives by giving the gospel to others. Don't miss that the Lord who strengthens you by His gospel does not mean that you would be strengthened just to sit in the gospel, but that you'd be strengthened to go with the gospel. Don't you have this truth in your very mission statement as a local church? To develop worshipers of Jesus who are growing in the gospel and going with the gospel? God is glorified through redeemed sinners who live by faith and share their faith. And finally, Paul closes this letter with a clear declaration rather than a description. The letter closes with a clear reminder. God alone is worthy of glory. God alone is worthy of glory. The final statement of the letter rings like a final triumphant note of a masterful symphony. Paul declared that at the end of everything, at the conclusion of his articulation of the gospel, that God alone is worthy of glory. You see, Paul knows what each of us know inherently, that we are glory-giving creatures. We are made to glorify. As Joseph shared, we recently moved back from Florida to Florida from Northern Virginia. And honestly, there are moments I miss the beauty of Northern Virginia. Especially some of the weather particularly in the fall and the summer, but especially the summer evenings. The sunset, the breezes, the rapid cooling of a hot day, the greenness of the nature that surrounds. But whether it's Virginia summer nights or sunny Florida beaches or rolling mountains, or for Joseph, whatever Lake Milwaukee is on, have you ever, like me, taken a look at what's around you and said, this is beautiful? Why do you say that? When you say that, something within you compels you to speak. Sometimes even more so if someone is with you. When others are around, do you say out loud, isn't this beautiful? There is a satisfaction that comes with expressing awe and wonder, and it's more satisfying when it is shared. We don't have to be compelled to glorify in those moments. No, it's our natural instinct. And Paul says that the greatest end of our glory giving is God himself. He alone is worthy of infinite glory, for he alone is infinitely glorious. And as we have seen from these verses, God's glory is beheld most wonderfully in the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis understood this reality of the human heart well. He writes, Just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so thus they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. Isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? Don't you think that magnificent? 
The psalmists, in telling everyone to praise God, are doing what all men do when they speak of what they care about. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise is not merely an expression, but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. The worthy, the more worthy the object, the more intense the delight should be. As Paul recounts the works of God in redeeming a people for himself, he is stunned by the wisdom of God in the gospel. This isn't the first time he told us in chapter 11, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. Paul is overcome with wonder and awe at God. As he meditates and explains the redemptive work of the Father that has been accomplished through the Son and applied through the Holy Spirit, all filled wonder at the majesty of God's wisdom fills his heart, such that the doxology ends to the only wise God. This isn't a denial that wisdom exists in God's creatures, but that the wisdom of God displayed in the Son by the Spirit makes all other wisdom pale and fade. Surely we delight in wisdom when people are gifted, but nothing compares to delighting in the wisdom of God who devised in his own counsels to ransom for himself a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Church, if we have received eternal life in Christ and know the joy of knowing God, how can we but praise and glorify Him? What could be more delightful, more heart-stirring, more wonder-inducing than the God who saved us? Remember, the God who made you loves you despite your denial and rebellion and even hatred of Him, despite your many imperfections and failings. He loves you to the point that you deserved all his righteousness and perfect wrath. Yet he spares you through crushing his son Jesus in your place. And this Jesus rose from the grave, powerfully bringing eternal life to you when you trusted in him. All who turn from their sinful rebellion to Jesus receive forgiveness and life. And church, he has sent his spirit to live with us, to indwell us, to remind us that we are his blood-bought adopted children. And the Spirit guides and sustains us in the presence of God. And church, He will strengthen us because one day He will bring us to be with Him. We will leave this earth through death or His return, and we will dwell in His presence where the psalmist tells us there is fullness of joy for eternity. Beloved, how could we not glorify this God? How can we keep our praise to ourselves? Or worse, spend our lives ascribing glory to lesser things. Paul sounds the final note that rings clearly in the heart of every person who has come to know this God. To the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, you are rich in mercy and abounding in steadfast love. And we thank you for the, your word that is powerful to change us. And we pray that we would depart from this place in the hope that you have given us through the Lord Jesus Christ and the presence of your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.